when you were stocking up on plastic paper goods and water because you're afraid everything was going to collapse. You were ready. You were ready. <laughs> we were all ready. Well, I want to uh, invite you right now um, to something that we have been doing every year, and it's not just a tradition and not just motions that we go through, but I want to invite you to our week of prayer and fasting. Uh, if you ate breakfast already this morning, don't worry, there's grace. We're actually going to start with prayer and fasting today, and we're going to meet together every night, Sunday through Thursday, from 6 to 7 o'clock. And here's, how, uh, here's ways that you can be a part of it. Uh, how many of you uh, received one of these when you came in? You may have, you may have not. All right. This, how, many, how many of you would like to join us in some way, shape, or form in prayer and fasting? Not necessarily committing to being here all week long, but you're more than welcome to do that as we come together. Okay, here's what you can do. We have a beautiful uh, uh, scripture guide for our prayer and fasting. It's literally mostly just scriptures every day that we can pray through as a church to see God's kingdom come. How many of you know the most effective prayers that we have are when we pray the word of God over our lives? When we believe what God says about us, um, here's, here's the thing. If, you, uh, if we have your email address, you received an email at 8.30 this morning uh, that gave you a digital copy of this so that you can join us in prayer. Uh, or if you want to, you can download our app, the New Covenant app, New Covenant Buffalo app, uh, and it's available on there as well. But if you do not have a smartphone, you don't like your smartphone, or you just want to be contrary and use paper, uh, there are paper copies available for you. So if you raise your hand right now, ushers will come around and they will bring you a copy of this prayer uh, guide. It includes a bookmark that you can put in your Bible and also the scriptures to read through every week. Here's my encouragement. Raise your hand if you want one of these. Uh, here's my encouragement to you. And don't, don't be ashamed. We all love you, even if you're raising your hand. Uh, my encouragement to you is this. Um, don't just make this about coming to pray every night at 6 o'clock. But make this about praying throughout the day. You can take these scriptures with you. You can read them when you wake up. You can meditate on them. You can pray them through. But we will gather every day. And here's how I do the uh, fast, and here's how I'm inviting all of us to do it. I I do a warrior fast, which means I I don't eat uh, all throughout the day. We come together, we pray, and we worship from 6 to 7 as a group. How many know there's power in corporate prayer and fasting? So we don't just do this individually in our homes. We do this together. But then also at the end of that time at 7 o'clock, we're going to break fast together. We've been doing that uh, for our prayer and fasting times. There's still some people that have their hands up over here, uh, gentlemen. Uh, we've been doing that for our prayer and fasting time, and it's been really powerful. and It's been a good system for families, you know, people that need to eat uh, during their prayer and fasting. It's been a great time of fellowship together, moving towards what God has for us. So I want to invite you to pray with us. I want you to invite you to fast with us. I want to invite you to come uh, every night and worship and pray together from 6 to 7. That will be uh, Sunday through Thursday night. And then uh, we will also break our fast every night at 7. So you can plan on coming and if you need to have a meal with us afterwards. It's going to be a powerful week. Amen? Amen? All right, here's what I want to encourage you. As we pray and fast, we, I want to encourage you to bring everything that you have to the Lord. Let me explain it this way. Um, every week, there's a person in this church almost every week, who brings me a bottle of their own home-brewed iced tea. And I'm not telling you who this person is for two reasons. One, I don't want you to bother them. And two, I don't want the competition. Um, and, well, actually, there's three reasons. And the other reason is sometimes these bottles show up in the middle of service, and they look like, sometimes they're delivered in paper bags. They look like an alcohol delivery. And I want you to know that I'm not getting alcohol delivered to me before I preach. I'm wise enough to have that delivery happen during the week. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Last week, I'm really just kidding. Last week, uh, I was delivered a bottle that was probably about eight ounces. It was a cool-looking bottle, but it was small. And in exchange for that bottle, the person who gives me this tea said, if you bring me bottles, I will fill them. Well, I have learned that if I don't bring him anything or I give him a small bottle, I get a small bottle filled with tea. So last week, I, I gave him a big bottle. And guess what? The big bottle came back full. Let me encourage you that we can approach God this week or we can approach God any time that we're coming to him and we can bring him a small bottle. We can say, God, this is how much of my life I want you to fill. This is what I have faith for you to fill. This is what I believe you can do. This is how much I I think we can go together this year. Or we can bring God a big bottle. Because the truth is this, whatever we give to God, he's going to fill. And he's able to fill, and he wants to fill. But we have a choice. We have a choice as believers to bring him the small bottle to fill 
or the large bottle to fill. Here's, if, if I had wisdom, and I was really thinking this through, I would fi- find some gallon-sized glass bottles. Anybody have access to gallon-sized glass bottles and want to talk to me after service? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want a little bottle of iced tea. It's good iced tea. It's probably the best iced tea I've ever had in my life. But if I just give God small bottles, he's going to fill the small ones. If I give my friend the big bottle, he's going to fill the big bottle. My supernatural friend and my friend in this church. What kind of bottles do we have? And what are we willing to bring the Lord? For some of us, he, he wants to expand our understanding. Of what, some of us think of ourselves like this. We think this is all the capacity we have in the Lord. And God wants to expand our faith and say, no, I have access to more. Some of us, we only bring God this. We're like, hey, listen, um, I kind of, my life is pretty full, so can you fill this, be enough to quench my thirst? When God's saying, would you just bring me everything? Because I'm willing to fill it all. So I want to encourage you, not just in terms of prayer and fasting, but to choose to give God everything so he'll fill you with everything. Do we believe that God's able and wants to do that? I believe he does. I believe he does. So that brings me to our, our scripture and our sermon this morning. I believe that God chooses us. We're going to start a series this morning called Kingdom of Priests, and the title of the message this morning is Chosen Priests. Many of us have a difficulty with choice because we're consumers, because we live in America. Let's go out of spiritual just to the natural for a minute. How many of you have a hard time with choice? Sometimes we have a hard time choosing things because there are too many choices in front of us. Have you ever taken a kid to a toy store with a gift card? Yeah, oh, it's brutal. I'm telling you, my kids could spend three hours in the store picking things up and putting things down, and you walk halfway to the cash register, and they say, oh, I, I think I want something else. And you're like, good Lord, kid, make a choice. Now, we blame our kids for that, but sometimes we have a hard time with too many choices. Sometimes we believe there's not enough choices. Have you ever been forced to make a choice because you only had like one or two things in front of you and you wish you had more options? So you're like, I'm just not going to make a choice because I want to wait for a better choice. It's like my kids at, at night when they say, hey, can I have a snack? And I said, sure, you can have a piece of fruit. And they say, well, can I have a yogurt? Is yogurt fruit? Well, it has fruit in it. No, 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 no. You can have a piece of fruit. Can I have a cheese stick? No. Like, why do you have a dairy addiction? Let's talk about that. No, like, piece of fruit. Well, Dad, all we have is bananas. Well, I guess your choices are bananas, bananas, or bananas, right? Like, these, these are, sometimes we don't want to make the choice because we don't like the choices that are in front of us. Sometimes it's too many choices. Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes we have a hard time with our choices because we make a choice, and we don't like the choice we made. We have buyer's remorse. How many of you have thought about returning something as you're walking out of the store with the thing you just bought? How many of you, you walk to the register saying, I'm buying this, but I can always return it? Right? We do that. We, we have a hard time with our choices. We don't think we always made the right choice. Sometimes we, we have FOMO. We have fear of missing out. And so we have a hard time making choices because not, it's not that we don't like the choices that are in front of us. We think there might be a better choice tomorrow. Right? Or, or, or someone else has a good choice. So, and this is how it's expressed in our consumer culture. We go around to 20 different stores looking to save 20 cents on an item. There might be a better deal somewhere else. It might be a better choice, so I'm going to keep going. And the truth is we spend $45 worth of gas and $100 worth of our time trying to figure out how we can get a better deal on something because we're afraid we're missing out on the good deal. For goodness sake, buy the thing and be happy with it. That's my little bit of soapbox. Anyways, my wife would say that to me. Sometimes we have a hard time with our choices because we feel like maybe my life would be different if I had made a better choice. Maybe not just in consumer things, maybe in some of our choices in life. How many of you ever made a, a choice and it was the wrong choice? And your life was altered by it. And so we struggle over the choices that we've made in the past. Some of us are wondering, well, I made that choice, so... Can I make a different choice now? How many of you know there's, there's no real redos in life? 
You're looking at me like, that's really bad news, Pastor. You're supposed to encourage us. It's the beginning of the year. Let me encourage you with this. Oftentimes we make choices in our lives that we don't like, and we don't like the consequences of it. As we're walking through it, we think, I wish I could go back and make another choice. But oftentimes that paralyzes our next choice. Because we spend so much time thinking about making a different choice. What if, what if, what if, when God's calling us in that moment to this, and let me give you just a little bit of advice. This isn't my message, but it's advice that somebody gave me, and it's been very powerful. Instead of worrying about the choice that we did make that we can't change, at that moment, we should just make the next right choice. When we've made a a poor choice, when we've chosen something, and it's bringing destruction to our lives, rather than wallowing in that destruction or wishing we had done it different, what if we just said, you know what, I'm going to make the next right choice. I'm going to do the next right thing. Because we always have that choice, don't we? We can't change the past, but we can change what we're doing right now, and and, and by that, change the future. And that's a powerful thing because God has given us choice and choices are powerful. It's not necessarily even about consumer choice. I think sometimes we we have a hard time believing that we could be a chosen people. We're going to talk about this morning being a chosen people. And I think this is a um, topic that is incredibly pertinent for this region and for this area and for this church. I think for us, as we have a hard time as Western New Yorkers sometimes believing that we're a chosen people. I mean, 20, 25 years ago or so, when we went to four Super Bowls in a row, we had no problem being the chosen people. We just expected that we would go to the Super Bowl every year. And some of us are still living in that delusion. <laughs> Full disclosure, I was living in that delusion yesterday. <laughs> right? I, I, in fact... Full disclosure, uh, I did not watch a whole lot of football this year. But I was excited for the playoffs because this was our year. And when the Bills blew their first opportunity to go to, to overtime, and I thought the game was over, I just went to the kitchen and started cleaning. That was my coping mechanism. And I, I, I remember last night just standing in the kitchen going, why in the world do I let them do this to me again? You say it's great faith. I think it might be. Anyways. But as a region, we, did you know we used to be a chosen region? That based on where God has placed western New York and its geography, we're a chosen region. We were the first city to be fully electrified because of our proximity to Niagara Falls. At one point, Buffalo was one of the fastest-growing cities in America. At one point, Buffalo, Western New York, had the second-largest rail yards in the world. We were a city that was chosen for greatness. And yet, over time and over experience and We've been through some difficult things as a city and as a region. I think it may have resulted in in an attitude for us that doesn't believe that we could possibly be a chosen people. What it it looks like or a way to describe it would be an orphan mentality or a poverty mentality. We don't believe that good things are in store for us. We have a hard time with it. And so when somebody comes along and there's prosperity and it's coming to our region or even coming to our lives, we, are, we have a hard time believing that it's real. Or we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Do you ever have something good happen in your life? You're like, well, I guess I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop because it's going to get worse. Here's how it looked like for me last night. We were up by 16 going into halftime, and I said, well, it's not over yet. Somebody posted online, the Buffalo Bills snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And that's about football, which is not really that important. But we believe that same thing about our lives, about our region. We are, we're destined to not enjoy the goodness and the faithfulness and the fruitfulness of God, but we're destined to frustration or to just get enough. When something good happens, we say, well, 
you know, what's this really going to cost me? Or we just think of other people as chosen people. I don't know about you, but how many of you believe like the Houston Texans are the chosen people today? I mean, how in the world do you get out of a sack when two guys are literally on top of you? How many of you didn't watch the game? You have no idea what I'm talking about. God bless you. You're my chosen people this morning. You're God's chosen people because you didn't suffer through all the frustration that the rest of us suffered through. But the truth is this. Not about consumer choice and not even about regional choice, although there's some spirituality to that. But the truth is this, and this is what I want to talk about this morning. Did you know that you and I are God's chosen people? And I believe that as we understand the power of what it means to be chosen people, that the spiritual warfare around this starts to tip in favor of God's people advancing the kingdom. Because here's what the enemy knows. He knows that if he can convince you and I that we are second-hand stepchildren to God's kingdom, that we start to just content, content ourselves with, well, I got in. Well, at least I'm saved. Well, God, you've forgiven me, and I'll just walk in that. And, I mean, like, God's salvation is wonderful, is it not? But how many know that's the starting point to a relationship with God? That's the beginning of advancement of God's kingdom in our life. God has not saved you and I so that we could just go to heaven. And we've been sold in our culture, in our region, in the church, we've been sold a lie that believes it's just about getting people to heaven and us getting there ourselves. God has so much more for you and I. Getting to heaven is a big deal. Having salvation, being washed and set free from the power of sin in our lives is a, is a big deal. And I don't mean to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. It's the greatest miracle that could happen. All of heaven rejoices when someone who's lost comes home. But what does it look like to live in that home and to thrive in that home and to have that be a jumping off point? Not a point we ever leave, but, a, but, a, but an advancement point into the kingdom of God, into the goodness of God into the purposes of God in our lives. I want to talk about how God chose us this morning, and I want to talk about our response to that. I have just three points this morning. And it's a simple message, but I believe it's a powerful message because of the spiritual warfare that's around it. When you and I understand how chosen we are and what powerful choices we have, the kingdom of God changes all around us. First of all, we have to understand this. Point number one, if you're taking notes, God chose us. If you want to take notes, make them really powerful, say this, God chose me. Every one of us need to hear this this morning. You personally have been chosen by God. Here's what scripture says. We're going to be in three separate scriptures. How many of you know that preachers are told to stay in one scripture? Like stick with one story, the most effective preaching, but here's what I know. I could do that, but you guys are sharper than that. Right? So we're going to put, we're going to look at kind of three separate accounts of scripture. You can put your finger in one and we'll flip back and forth and address each one of them separately. And here's where we're going to go first this morning. First is this. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 10 says this. Once you had no identity as a people and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. In other words, we used to walk around without any purpose in life. We used to walk around without mercy, just under judgment. We used to walk around not really knowing who we are. But the truth is this, God has made us into a people. Here's what the verse right before that says, and this is going to be the scripture that we kind of land on. It's 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God says for each one of us that we are chosen people, individually but also together. We're a roy- we are royal priests. We are royal priests individually, but we are royal priests together as the kingdom of God, as the people of God. We are a holy nation. We are God's very own possession. See, God chose us in Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I have been chosen. But how many of you know that this is not the first reference to this? God has always been about having a chosen people. 
In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, we find the people of God in the Exodus, the people of Israel, have been called out of slavery in Egypt, out of bondage in Egypt, and they've been called into the desert to the promised land. And as they're going there, God explains to them something. He says, you are now my special people. And here's what he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. He says, you are a holy people who belong to the Lord, your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you the smallest of the nations. Rather, it was simply that he loves you. He was keeping an oath he swore to your ancestors. That's why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God, and he is faithful God, who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Listen, you and I have not been chosen to be part of God's people because we're handsome or because we're beautiful or because we're talented or because we're spiritual, or because we're righteous, or because we're smart, or because we have great vision or great faith, or because God somehow thinks that we're, we are useful for his kingdom. First and fundamentally, God has chosen us because he loves us. God has always been looking for a people to lavish his love upon. And it, when God chose us, it was because he loves us. And because he has that love for us, he's called us into his kingdom. And it's because he wants to keep his promises and show how faithful he is. So listen, understand this. You might be here this morning thinking, I've got nothing to bring to God. Great, you're a perfect candidate to be chosen. God wants to demonstrate not your faithfulness. He wants to demonstrate his faithfulness. God wants to demonstrate not your love, but his love. And he wants to demonstrate it not just to you and not just to the, his people, but he wants to demonstrate it to the whole world. He wants to show that for, from generation to generation to generation that he's faithful and that he will lavish his love on his people. And he does that by choosing us. In fact, he did this from the very beginning. If you want to go back to the very beginning of time, see, we see it in Jesus that we've been chosen. We see it that God chose his people, Israel, to show his glory in the earth. But he, ch- he chose people from the very beginning. Even the act of creation, when God created Adam and Eve, was a choice that he made. In Scripture it says this in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings our in-, in our image to be like us. God chose to put human beings in the earth like him. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God chose to put us into the earth. God chose to create human beings, you and I, in his image. But it wasn't just that he chose to create us. He chose to create us for a purpose. See, God's choice changes everything. God's choice is not just a choice to be, uh, have favorites. God's choice is not just to, to create people in his image. But God created us and chose us for a purpose. That's point number two. God chose us for a purpose. How many know that you have a purpose in God? We read it in the very first scripture that we opened up with in 1 Peter chapter 2. We have been called to be priests. This series is called Kingdom of Priests. And we're going to look at the role that we have as kings and priests in the earth over the next few weeks, Lord willing. But here's what we're going to focus on this morning. First of all, priests are chosen. And they're chosen for a purpose. Here's the three functions, the three main functions of a priest. You can write them down. We'll explore these over the next few weeks a little bit deeper, but for our understanding this morning, let's see what God chose us for. God chose us first to be with him. The first function of a priest is to be with God, to enjoy his presence. When God called Adam and Eve in the garden, when he created them in the garden, chose to put them in the garden, he chose them to be with him, to walk with him in the cool of the day. When God chose the people of Israel, he called them out of a place, and he brought them to a place so that they could be with him. When God called us out of darkness and into his light, he called us to be with him. We are a kingdom of priests, and the priest's main function, number one, is to be in the presence of God. We read that all throughout history. If you look at priests, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, or even in the modern day, 
a, a priest in, its, in, its high, in their highest function have, have been set aside to be with God. You and I have been called to be priests for the purpose of being with him. The second purpose is this. It's to represent God's order in the earth. Priests are called to represent God's authority in the earth and in the world. To bring order into chaos. Think about it. When, when someone's called to worship the Lord, and what would it look like if there was nobody here to bring order out of chaos? What if we just all showed up and did whatever we wanted? Not whatever the Spirit prompted us to do, but whatever we wanted. It would look like what happens down here during service. My children spend, well, not my, my youngest, <laughs> spends her time doing what she wants. Which includes me having to instruct her during worship. Hey, stop kicking the back of mommy's legs. Right? And so uh, the job of a priest is to say, okay, if we're going to worship God, if we're going to represent God in the world, in church, in our families, it's to bring the order of God to say, this is what God wants. This is what his authority looks like, and here's what it looks like in the earth. And the third function of a priest is this. It's to serve God's creation and its purposes. To represent God's care in the world. Let me describe it this way. We're going to look at these three different accounts of Scripture. Creation, the exodus, and God's people being made into a people, and then us in, in, second, or in 1 Peter 2. Let's talk first about creation. When God put Adam in the garden, he gave him the purpose of a priest. He said to him in Genesis chapter 1, 28, Then God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God gave him rule and called him to maintain order and to extend that order. It wasn't just like God put him in the garden and said, That's it. Here are your boundaries. He actually gave him the mandate to extend God's creative order and rule over the whole earth. He also gave him the opportunity and the, the, the call and the mission to tend and watch over, to serve his purposes in the earth. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, The Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He was a servant. Some of us think that when Adam and Eve sinned, we all had, were, were condemned to work. How many of you ever kind of thought through that process? If Adam and Eve had never sinned, my life would be so much better. I would not, how many of you thought that as you're getting up to go to work at very, very early in the morning? You're like, God, if they only had never sinned, then I would just be still living in the garden, and we all would be, and we would wake up whenever we wanted to, and we'd walk around naked because we wouldn't need any clothes, and it wouldn't be a problem because our bodies would not be ravaged by anything. Like, they would just be really good, perfect, sinless bodies, and we could just enjoy your presence, and I'd never have to work to eat. I would just go to whatever tree and pick the fruit off, and la, 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 I'd walk around. How many of you know that that's a false picture of what God had did, what God did? God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them the opportunity to work, to tend the garden, to serve the purposes of God. See, we avoid work like it's wrong, like it's the plague. We're going to get into later on, I'm going to get on a soapbox later, about how priests are called to serve in the house of God. We often think of that as just work, and we get exhausted by it. The truth is we have been created to serve the purposes of God. We've been created to work in his garden. The problem is we live in a fallen world right now where it's not the work that's fallen, it's the world that's fallen that doesn't cooperate with the work. See, when Adam and Eve tended the garden, the garden cooperated with them. How many of you know none of the world cooperates with you when you go to work? It starts with your body not cooperating when you wake up and you're exhausted. It continues when there's not the kind of things that you want to eat for breakfast in the morning because your kid stayed up late and ate all the cereal and drank all the milk. Right? It continues when nobody, nobody on the road understands that you've got to be at work in 10 minutes and they all decide this is drive slow day. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like our world doesn't cooperate with our work. But the truth is this. God created work in perfection and the earth was supposed to cooperate with us. He's calling us back to serve the earth's purposes and he's empowering us as one of the functions of a priest is to serve the earth and the creative purposes he's given us, to work, to serve. Some of you are looking at me like, that, Pastor Josh, this is not good news. I'm telling you, it's good news. So those are the three creative purposes and in the garden he did that. He gave Adam that. He did that in the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, he says this, 
And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. This verse comes as God brings his people out of uh, bondage in Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai. They're meeting with God. And God says, listen, here's my purpose in bringing you out. I want to create in you, I want to make in you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He says to Moses, listen, tell the people, my, my goal is not to bring you out so that there can be some priests who talk in between us, but I want to have every person that's part of this nation understand their role and their calling as priests to talk to me face to face, to be with me, to extend my authority in the earth and to serve me. I'm calling everybody in the kingdom, everybody who's part of the nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. That was God's purpose in calling them out. And that's the same is true for us in Jesus. If you look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are not like that. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. And here's the purpose of that calling. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God chose us, and God chose us for a purpose. God chose us for a purpose to show his glory in the earth. You have been called. You have been chosen to show the goodness of God. How many of you that intimidates you because you know that there are areas of your life that don't demonstrate the goodness of God? Listen, this is not a message to condemn you. This is not a message to say, hey, you don't measure up. This is a message to prophetically declare what God has called each one of us to and to say this is the opportunity that you have. God has called you out of darkness and into light so that every area of your life can demonstrate the goodness of God. How do we do that? We do that by recognizing and choosing to receive the purpose that God has for us as priests in the world. If you want your life to demonstrate God's goodness, choose to be with him. Choose to exercise the authority that he has given you and extend his authority in the earth and choose to serve him in the earth. God chose us. God chose us for a purpose. And the third point is this. God chose us so that we could choose him. One of the biggest theological debates that has been happening for thousands of years is this. Did God choose us or do we choose him? And people, people literally fought about it. Denominations have literally been started over it. If you want to throw something in on Christians and get them to disagree about something and get mad at each other, just throw out the term, this theological term, this is how it usually comes up, predestination. Are we predestined when we are created to go to heaven or to go to hell? Did God choose us for heaven? Did God choose us for hell? I want to kind of wipe the slate clean on that and say this. God chose us. Very clearly, God chose us. God went first. God always goes first. That's the great God that we have. But God chose us so that we can choose him. There's always a choice. God would not be a good God if there was no choice. That's demonstrated in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. He said to them in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Actually, look at, uh, no, 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Verse 17, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. He said, you can eat from every tree freely. You and I have a free choice. And he said, I'm warning you, don't eat from this tree. This is not a good tree. But he still gave them the choice to do it. See, if he put us in a, them in the garden or he puts us in a place where we have no choice, he's not a good God. A good God always gives us choice. He goes first in choosing us. God went first in putting in the garden the tree of life. God went first in creating Adam and Eve. God went first in giving them everything they need for life and godliness, connection with him and authority extension in the earth and his presence, excuse me, and to be able to serve him in the earth. But he gave them a choice. And it's a powerful choice. And he warned them about it. It's not like God doesn't... God doesn't give us a choice and says, hey, figure it out on your own. He gives us a choice and he warns us because he's a good God. In the Exodus, excuse me, in the Exodus, he gives the people of God a choice. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, right before the scripture we read, it says this, Now if you obey me and keep my commandment, you'll be my own special treasure from among the peoples on the earth, for all the earth 
belongs to me. It was a choice that the people had. Moses delivered the message of God to the people of God, and they made their choice. In verse 8 of chapter 19, we see the choice that they made. Here's what they said. And the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So the people... Slow down, Josh. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. It was a choice he had. He brought them out of slavery. He said, listen, you have a choice today to be my people, to accept the priestly call that I've placed on your life. Do you want this? Moses brought the message to the people, and the people said, yes, we are in 100%. In fact, they said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And we have a choice in Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. We have a choice in Jesus. In our scripture in 1 Peter, it says this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the last half of verse 7, it says, But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Verse 8, And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. It's not that God has planned fate and destruction and separation from him for certain people. He's planned that for people who choose to not choose him. If you and I will reject Jesus in our lives, and not just like the salvation that Jesus brings, but if we will continue to walk in rejection of his purposes in our lives, we are walking away from the chief cornerstone. And we have a choice in our lives. We have a choice. Just because God has an outcome for those who don't choose him doesn't mean that he's choosing that outcome for for them. He chooses, and his purpose and his plan for you and I is to choose him. But he gives us that choice. But here's the thing. We as a people often have a hard time with that choice. We have a tendency to push off our priesthood. This is the result of our fallen nature. But it doesn't have to be. It happened in the garden. Adam's choice to listen to his wife and the serpent was an abdication of his priesthood. He could have said to his wife that gave him the fruit, hey, we're not doing this, babe. We walk with God. He's given us everything that we need. And his authority is a, in, in this earth is that we don't eat this. So I'm going to say, by God's authority, no. And I'm going to serve you in creation by saying no. And we're going to see how God redeems. I just think in my mind, if Adam would have said no, it might have changed everything, even for Eve. If he would have operated in his priesthood. Eve could have operated in her priesthood because God did not make Adam the only priest. He's created Adam and Eve to walk in that priesthood. He's created men and women to walk in this. And if Eve would have said no to the serpent, no, I know what God said, and I know what he's called me to do, and I'm not willing to give up that to walk with you, I'm going to say no. It would have changed everything, but they pushed their priesthood away. They said, we want to operate under another system. The people of God did it in the Exodus. In chapter 19, they're invited to be a kingdom of priests. In chapter 20, they reject that. Chapter 19, we are all in. In chapter 20, they're like, I don't know if we're all in. In between, God, Moses goes up and he meets with God on the mountain. And If you read it, it's kind of wonderful and awesome, but also fearful at the same time. The people of God are like, hey, I don't, need, I don't know that we really understood what we were getting into. And so this is what they say to Moses in verse 19 of chapter 20. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. They went from God will be your kingdom of priests. We will talk to you face to face. We'll let you fill our hearts with the kingdom and we'll advance it all together but individually as well to, hey Moses, why don't you be the priest for us? We don't want to do that for ourselves. It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit intimidating. It takes up a little bit too much time. You go do that whole mountain and smoke and lightning and thunder thing and we'll just stand over here and wait to hear what you have to say. And that was the beginning for the people of Israel of their walking away from their priesthood, of them shoving it off. But the truth is this, we do this all the time. We reject the call to be priests in our own lives. Here's how some of us do it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 
For those who reject him, the stone the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. We read that scripture already. But we're not going to be like that. Our verse that we've landed on, 1 Peter 2.9, starts with, but you are not like that. In fact, earlier in the chapter, in verse 4, Peter tells us who we really are. He says this, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are his living stones. The worship team can come. You are his living stones. That God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. You and I are not like that. What is God doing in us? God is calling us, I believe in this year, but all the time, but specifically in this year, God is calling us as a people to embrace our priesthood. He's calling us to trust him because of what he did. He is the chief cornerstone. How many of you know that? He's our great high priest. But because of what he accomplished for us, we are now what? We are now his living stones that are building on that chief cornerstone. God is calling you and I to be those living stones, to be built into the temple of God individually and corporately. Imagine with me for a moment what it would look like for an entire group of people to accept their priesthood. What would it look like? Like you can see the smile on my face. Think about this for a minute. What if each and every one of us walked with God in such intimacy that we always knew what he was saying? That'd be pretty powerful, wouldn't it? So when you wake up in the morning and nothing goes right and your kids are whining and screaming, you know what the answer is because you've been talking to dad. Maybe he didn't give you pre-understanding of it, but in that moment, he, he just, because you are with him, because his presence is alive in your life, you're like, I know what the answer is to whatever you're walking through right now. Or what would it look like if we walked into a situation in our job where everybody's confused and teams are fighting with each other and we're not making the deadline and we're not cutting it and we're in the red and God said, I want you to be the one who brings my order into this situation. And all of a sudden, the people of God, with the wisdom of God, because they have the presence of God, start to say, okay, this is what it looks like. It looks like Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. It looks like Joseph speaking to Pharaoh, saying, this is what is coming. This is what God knows. And they're like, nobody else could know this. And you're like, yeah, but God does. And I just happen to serve him. What would it look like for the authority of God, for the rule of God to be extended in the earth by a whole group of people, not just a few select ones, but every one of us? What would it look like for the people of God to serve God's creation purposes? I'll tell you what, in a group this size, we could affect this region wholly. I believe that when the people of God receive their priesthood and they walk in their priesthood, people don't go hungry. People don't go uneducated. People's lives are ripped out of poverty and brought into the kingdom of light. That's not just for us. That's for us extending that to people around us. We serve other people to see the, the garden that God has given us tended. Our finances change. Our communication within our home changes. Our physical home changes. Our bodies change. When we step into the priesthood that God has called us to, when we understand it's not just for a select few to have their lives set apart for God, but it's the priesthood of all believers. That all of us are called to live lives, not just saved, but lives that reflect the glory of God in the earth. And that there's more glory for you and I. And it's simply as we step into our priesthood. We 
say, God, I know you've chosen me for this. I'm willing to walk in it. I'm not going to push it away on somebody else. It's a powerful vision. It's a kingdom vision. And the truth is this. It's not that we become amazing looking stones, living stones in the kingdom. It's that everybody sees the cornerstone that our lives are built upon. And so the question for you and I this morning is this, is will we choose to walk with the one who's chosen us? Will we choose to walk in our purpose? Will we choose to walk in our priesthood? Will we choose to walk in intimacy? Will we choose to extend the authority of the kingdom wherever we go? Will we choose to serve in God's house and in the world that he's given us to see his kingdom extended? Close your eyes if you would. Take an opportunity to hear what God's saying. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never chosen God, God brought you to this place this morning to hear this message. First of all, for you to understand that He's chosen you, He brought you here so you would know that you've been chosen. Just the simple fact that you have heard the gospel this morning, you've heard the good news, God has brought you to this place is a sign and a symbol of Him choosing you. And the question to you is, will you choose him? So if you're in this place, maybe you've never chosen God. You've never responded to his, his choosing you. This morning you can do that. I want to ask you to do something fairly bold, but this is just so I know that you're here and I can tell you what to do. If there's somebody here this morning or multiple people here this morning that you want to respond to God's choice, you want to say, yes, God, I choose you. I choose a free gift of salvation that you have given in Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand so I can see it? I see that hand, and that hand. Is there anybody else? I see that hand. Is there anybody else? If you, I see that hand. You can put your hand down if you've raised it. Is there anybody else, though, that hasn't? God's moving on your heart. God's stirring in your heart. He's brought you to this place on the first Sunday of 2020 because he wants you to understand that he's chosen you, and you get to choose him. Anybody else? If our prayer team can come, if you just raise your hand, there's some folks that are going to be on either side of this platform when we're done. I just want to encourage you to do this. Take the next bold step, the next right thing, and come and tell one of these people, I chose to follow Jesus. I chose the one who chose me. And they'll lead you in a prayer, and they'll give you some uh, information on how to continue to walk in that choosing. Now, here's the question for the rest of us. Will we choose the one who's chosen us? See, it's not just about salvation. It's not just about saying yes one time to God, saying, I know that you chose me and I'm responding with that choice. It's not only about that, but it's about the daily decision to walk in the priesthood that God has called us to. And if you want to make 2020 the year that you walk in your priesthood like never before, you want to grow in your intimacy with God, you want to grow in the authority of God being extended through you, if you want to grow in serving God's purposes in the earth, then I want to invite you right now to stand. Because you've been chosen, the power to do this is in you. All you have to do is say yes to God. And it starts with this moment, but it also is a choice that we make tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that when we choose to walk with God. Heavenly Father, we are standing here today recognizing that you chose us, not just to bring us out of salvation, but you chose us for a purpose in the earth, and that's to walk in our priesthood, to walk in intimacy with you, to extend your authority in the earth, and to serve your purposes in the earth. And so, Father, we stand this morning saying yes, saying yes to your choice over our lives, giving our will to that choice. And we stand saying yes to this year being the year of the priesthood of all believers being extended not only around us but in our lives individually and personally. But we also pray that you'd extend it in this body. God, that you would make this a place that looks more like a kingdom of priests than ever before. And may your kingdom come and your will be done because your people say yes to you continually. And yes, to your calling to walk as priests. We thank you for choosing us, and we choose you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing for a minute before Pastor Dan comes to dismiss us. 
Pray to conclude the service. If you raised your hand today, there are people on either side of the platform here that are ready and willing and anointed to lead you in prayer to release the presence, the power of God, the purposes of God, to come into agreement with you for that. So please, please, if you raised your hand, take a few minutes to seal that, to move forward in what God is doing in your life. As usual, the ushers will be at the doors for your tithes and offerings. If you're a guest, you're under no obligation at all to give. But if God's done something in your heart and you want to respond, feel free to uh, participate. The giving options are on the screen behind me. Thank you again for your generosity and extravagant giving for the $5,138.45. God is using that for his glory. And again, tonight we're beginning our uh, services for a prayer and fasting. Let me just say this. There's not one of us whose body is jumping up and down right now saying, oh, goody, goody, I don't get to eat and I get to go to another prayer meeting. Um, the flesh is weak, right? But in your heart, if God's stirring your heart, and I know he is, listen to your heart, not to your body. Do what God's called you to do. Let him lead you as your high priest into a place of favor, into a place of abundance, into a place of breakthrough, into a place of enjoying the goodness of his presence. Uh, dinner following service tonight, uh, service at 6, dinner at 7. And uh, new guests, we want to encourage you, visit uh, Guest Central in the lobby. There's someone back there to greet you, and they have a wonderful gift for you. And again, prayer team is available. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Lord, you chose us. Lord, your word says, well, we were still sinners. You died for us. You gave yourself so we could have relationship restored with Father. And Lord, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue to deal with our hearts, continue to lead us and guide us, continue to convince us and convict us and encourage us uh, to step more and more and more into the purposes that God has laid out before we were even formed in our mother's womb. He has a purpose for each one of us. There's work for us to do in your kingdom. And there is pleasure and glory in serving you and showing others around us who you are and how good you are. Father, use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Happy New Year. For thou